great. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, it's lovely, lovely to have you here with us. My name's Jem. Um, for those of you that don't know me, um, I'm on staff here at Revelation. Um, yeah, it's lovely, lovely to be worshiping with you this morning and um, meeting with you this morning. It's, it's great to be here. Um, at the moment, um, we are in a series where um, we're looking at stories of Jesus meeting people um, in, in the Gospels. Um, and this is a, a great thing for us to be doing because Jesus was a man who really lived and walked on the earth. And it's the same man who we've been singing about this morning um, and who is our friend now. Um, and so when we read these stories, they teach us what that guy is like that we are singing to. Um, and when we read these stories, they, they show us what, like, what his character is and what he is like. Um, and I think the story we are looking at this morning... Um, I have personally found um, shows so much of what Jesus' character is like and his attitude towards us. Um, and in preparing for the message this morning, I've actually found that I've fallen in love with him um, a little bit all over again um, because what I think we see in this passage is a God who is so kind. Um, so I'm just going to leap in and read the story because it's great. Um, so it's, we're starting at Mark 5, um, verse 22. So the is are appearing on the screens here, um, and I will read them out, and feel free to follow along in your Bible if you like. Um, So Mark 5, verse 22, it says, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, that's Jesus, he fell down at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, Jesus, went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned round in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you. And yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So in this story, there are um, two characters we see um, who are coming to Jesus, seeking healing. Um, The first one is Jairus, who comes to Jesus seeking healing for his daughter. Um, And the second one is the person that we're going to be focusing on today. It's this woman. And we find out, um, well, we don't, don't know a whole lot about her, but we find out that she is a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Um, 
This woman was, was suffering when she got to Jesus. And I'm gonna, I want to spend a little time just looking at or um, helping you understand quite how much she was suffering. Because I think it can be really easy to read this passage and you go, oh, that sounds unpleasant. It's nice she got healed. Um, but when she came to Jesus this, on this day, this woman was desperate. So it says that she has a discharge of blood for 12 years. I am trained as a nurse. So the first thing I am thinking when I hear that somebody has been on their period every day for 12 years is that this person is probably very anemic. So anemia is something that can be caused by heavy periods, um, and it's when you have low iron levels in your body. Now, in your body, the thing that iron is doing is it is helping to carry the oxygen from your lungs in your blood to the cells in your body. So if you don't have enough iron in your body, then every single cell in your whole body is going to be being low-level starved of oxygen all the time. It makes you feel very, very ill. Symptoms of anemia are um, intense fatigue and exhaustion, so that makes it difficult to even, like, some, for some people, if it's severe, walk across a room is too exhausting for them. Um, it makes you weak and unable to do really normal things, like lifting your arms up because you feel too weak. It can make you really dizzy and lightheaded. I wouldn't be surprised if this woman was someone who was fainting a lot um, and unable to stay conscious for too long in a place. It gives you headaches. It makes you short of breath, so you feel like you, like you can't breathe all of the time. Gives you like heart palpitations. Um, and if severe enough, anemia, if left untreated, can cause death. This woman was dying. Um, and would have, like, I'm willing to bet that she was severely anemic if she's been bleeding for 12 years. And not only that, but she's been bleeding on her period for 12 years. And periods themselves can be very, very painful. They are different for different women, but there was a study a few years ago that was showing that for some women, it can be as bad as having a heart attack. Um, we don't know quite what she was experiencing, but we know that physically, this woman was suffering. And then, it was actually as I was reading it last night, and verse 26 struck me a bit where it says that she had suffered much under many physicians. Um, because I wonder what it was that these doctors were doing to her. Um, the, if the problem was that she is continually bleeding from her uterus, what were their treatments? How invasive were they? How painful were they? What trauma would this woman have gone through who just wants to have a normal life again, who just wants to be made better um, as she goes to people who are supposed to be helping her and she is coming away worse? than when she started. This woman is suffering. And not only is it physically horrible for her, but her disease was one that is shameful and humiliating. Most women here, I bet, have an embarrassing period story. I have loads. I'm not going to share them quite now. Um, but periods are messy, and they are inconvenient. And, and even today, when we have tampons and moon cups and these super-absorbent pads and all the things that we can use to help us, they're still messy and still sometimes difficult to hide. And if this is an uncomfortable topic for us, if it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable to hear me speaking about this, it's because there is still a stigma of shame around periods. 
And if that is true now, in our like, progressive, forward society, like the age of feminism, how much more shameful and humiliating will it have been for this woman in the first century Israel? Her life will have been marked by constant shame and humiliation and worthlessness. And not only that, but a woman on her period in Israel at this time would have been considered spiritually unclean, um, which would have meant that she would not have been able to or allowed to be part of society. She couldn't have lived a normal life in a normal place. She wouldn't have been given the help that she needed because people wouldn't have even touched her because she was marred and dirty and unclean. And not only that, but she's also a woman. And that meant that she was reliant on, on men and had probably no way of supporting herself and looking after herself as a woman already in this time you would have been like, of, of little worth. Um, and there's a um, line in a film, in the Fiddler on the Roof, probably you've heard of it. Um, in the film, there's a line that I really find funny, where there's this like, Christian missionary who's just like, turned up in this Jewish community, and he's um, trying to, like, I think he's trying to start a like, school or something. Um, and so he asks this guy, like, do you have any children that I could teach? And this guy's like, well, I've got, I've got four daughters. And he's like, perfect, I can teach them. And he's like, no, no, they're, they're girls. And so this like, missionary guy is like, I can teach them. Girls are people too. And there's this like, side character off to the side that goes, how radical, <laughs> which I, I find hilarious. But it's hilarious because that's not a radical idea that girls are people too. But in this time, in this place, that might have been a radical idea that girls are people too and worthy of, um, of being seen and given value or worth at all. No wonder um, this woman is desperate. No wonder she has pursued everything that the world has to offer her to try and get better. This isn't even something that she's done to herself. This is just a situation that has happened to her. She can't help it. It's forced on her. No, no wonder when she comes to Jesus, she is desperate. But the thing is, yeah, when she's exhausted every other earthly means of hope, she finds hope in Jesus. And so she approaches him. And I think there's, there's two things that I find significant about her approach or the way that she approaches. Um, and the first is just that it's so simple. She hears reports about Jesus and, and thinks, he can help me. And so she just goes. She, um, she comes to him believing that he can help her. And I think probably it's her desperation that has driven her to this faith. Um, but that's beautiful in a way, because sometimes it is our desperation that leads us to this place of genuine faith, and sometimes it is desperation that sets us up to be able to encounter the power of God in our lives. And the, the other thing that I find significant about like, how she approaches is that her approach is really furtive. It's, it's afraid. It's... it's um, 
um, it's timid. She wants to get in and out of there as quick as she can, it seems. And this is in like, direct contrast with that other character that I mentioned, Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, um, and so a man of position and power and importance in society. And so when he needs Jesus' help, um, he feels confident stopping Jesus and telling Jesus to come with him. It says that his pleas were earnest, but it's also clear from the way that he is speaking that he feels confident almost to be commanding the whole of Jesus. He is asking for Jesus' time and his attention. He is asking for Jesus' action, and he is confidently doing all of those and expecting that Jesus will come with him. This woman's approach is it's the opposite. She comes up behind him in the crowd. She doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't think she's worthy of being seen. And you can see in her life how the many, many years of shame and humiliation, of hurt and trauma, mean that when she approaches, she does not feel worthy of any of Jesus' attention. She thinks that she has no right or claim on Jesus that she could stop him. Or even presume to speak to him. And when she touches him, she doesn't even touch him. She touches his garment. The account in Luke says that she touches the fringes of his garment. It's like she thinks that if she can have any claim at all on this man, it is in the least possible way, the furthest possible part of him from who he is. And doesn't that sound a bit like a familiar attitude? Are you familiar with those thoughts of, of, because of this thing about me, I can't draw near to God? Or if I can, if I can come at all, it's only to the, the most outer measures of who he is. I'm not worthy to be seen. I am not worthy to stop him. Maybe I can just come into the edges, but no more, no further. How often for us is it that the very thing that means that we need to draw near to Jesus is the thing that keeps us from coming confidently to him? How often do we restrict ourselves to the outskirts of God because we feel unworthy to come any nearer? If, if any of this that I'm saying is relatable to you, um, if you know any of these thoughts, then this story is for you. And look what happens next. She comes, fighting through the crowd to get to Jesus, which, if you're anemic, is a, a feat, let me tell you. And she reaches out, and she touches his clothes. In verse 29, it says, immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Twelve years of shame and frustration are resolved in a momentary touch of Jesus. Just one touch. And she is healed of a twelve-year disease that would have been debilitating in every way. And and again, I love that language where it says that she felt it in her body. She felt the blood dry up, but she also felt it in her body. And I'm convinced that means that not only was the blood, like the bleeding cured, but the anemia was cured as well. Hallelujah. <laughs> and what's 
incredible about this encounter, one of the things, is that it doesn't, when you read it, it doesn't read like it's an intentional act from Jesus. It sounds like he doesn't even know about it until after it's happened because he feels power going out from him. And this is a crazy insight into just how life-giving our God is, how it overflows and flows out of him. Here is a man walking on earth, but not of earth. And from him flows life and healing in such abundance that even touching his clothes, the garment he is wearing, is enough to bring her out of this living death and into wellness and life in a moment. If this is what a tiny touch of the outer measure of his garment produces, how much more power and life flows from the inner center of his being, even the shallowest depths of him are enough to transform our lives and our very being. <laughs> and then, Jesus, Jesus was not content to leave it there. He was not content to leave it at a miracle. He wanted her to encounter him, not just his clothing. <laughs> and so he stops on the way to heal Jairus' daughter, despite this overwhelming time pressure, he stops and he looks around and he's like, who is it? Who have I just healed? Who needs me? And the disciples, they don't get it. They think that like, the important thing is, is getting to the assignment that they're headed to. They're, they're about to see a healing. They're really excited. Um, they're trying to move Jesus on. They're confused about what on earth he's talking about. You can imagine Jairus hurrying Jesus on because his daughter is dying and he's desperate as well. And you can imagine the crowd confused. Why have we stopped? What's going on? What is this man on about? But despite all of that, Jesus refuses to move on until he has met the person who he has healed. He has an agenda. He will not leave this place until he knows who touched him. This woman, she came to Jesus wanting a cure. She came to Jesus wanting healing. She came wanting something. But Jesus, he desires that she has a personal encounter with someone. He wants her to meet him. This is the same God that we see throughout the whole Bible who is not content to meet the needs of his people from a distance, but who desires to come and be with and be known by his people. He doesn't want her only to know the edges of himself. He wants to draw her in and to let him, her experience his heart for her. And then when she comes, she falls down, trembling before him. Because she is not expecting this encounter to go well. She was breaking the rules by touching him. <laughs> she should not have been there. Um, 
And I imagine as she falls down with fear and trembling before him that she is expecting here to be rebuked by Jesus. She's been found out. This is exactly what she didn't want. Um, But I wonder if maybe she doesn't realize quite how right this response is. That, That this is the right response to experiencing the power of the holy God is to do exactly what she's doing, to fall down at his feet in fear and trembling. When face to face with God and his glory, this is exactly the right response. Um, And that makes what Jesus then does and what Jesus then says to her all the more stunning. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Do you see what he's doing there? He is honoring her. He is raising her up. He is calling her worthy. He is speaking peace over her. This would have been an astonishing thing for a man to do for any, like publicly for any women. But this woman has lived a life of shame and worthlessness for 12 years. And now here she is being publicly singled out for honor by this man. He commends her for her faith, holding her up as an example to the whole crowd, to Jairus, who seems concerned that Jesus isn't gonna make it in time, to everyone else that might come to him Um, looking for life and wellness, he holds her up as the example for faith. And in doing so, he overcomes not just her physical disease, but the humiliation too, and the shame and the worthlessness. He gives her worth and value. He changes her story. And the thing is, he should be receiving the honor. He should be the centerpiece of this story. He's just healed a woman from a 12-year disease with one touch. What we should be expecting in this story next is for her to be praising him and giving her on, him honor and glory. From her mouth should be the words of like, like, look at what you've done for me. She should be the one saying, look how great you are. And instead, it is from his mouth that comes honor and praise for her. (laughs) This is our story too. If we have any expectation at all of meeting with the Lord of heaven and earth, it should be that maybe we can come and maybe we can touch the outer measure of who he is in order to be made whole again and given life again. But just like with the woman, Jesus doesn't just save us. He also lifts us up. In Ephesians from verse 4. It's actually the same verses that Bethany began our meeting with this morning. Listen again to what it says. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, if that is where the story stopped, then it is a great story. If that is where those verses stopped, then that is beautiful. We have been made alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. But these verses go on. It says, and. And it is one of my favorite ands in the whole Bible. (laughs) He has made us alive together with Christ. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Um, Can we get the band back, please? Um, Our salvation, it was never the end goal for Jesus. Yeah, we need saving. And yes, we come to him for salvation. There is nowhere else we can go for that. But we come to him for salvation that he might then seat us with him and show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. Our salvation is a glorious thing and we will be singing about it forever. But it is not the final thing. It is a means for us to experience his grace and his kindness continually forever. I said at the beginning that this story has made me fall in love with Jesus a little bit again. And this is why. Because he is so astonishingly, confusingly kind. He is the God who shares everything with us, even his glory. He is the God that doesn't just want for you today to stick to the outskirts of who he is. He wants you to encounter his heart and to hear him speaking his peace over you and so we are gonna praise him for that um i'm gonna throw to the band and then um we're gonna in a little bit ask for god to heal some people and move in power um but yeah before we do let's just praise him for how good he is and for how kind he is and for all that he has done for us Thank you.